Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Janet Phelan. Last name is spelled P-H-E-L-A-N. And she published a book, 2021, very timely, considering the situation we're in. Uh, title of that book is At the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic. And this is not her first book. She's also published another book back in 2014. The title of that book is Exile. She also has two books of poetry, The Hitler Poems and Health Captive. But this is a, really a compilation of her research into this kind of biological warfare and also kind of uh, biological poisoning. Uh, a lot of different subjects and, and things that I'm familiar with in these bio labs. But I think it's very timely uh, information. So Janet Phelan, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Well, thank you so much for having me on. For people who may not have heard your name or your book, can you talk a little bit about your background? You've been writing on these subjects before the pandemic started. Can you talk about how you got interested in this subject and your writings and then what led you to compile this book at the breaking point of history? Right. Well, I've been covering biological weapons for over 20 years now, really. And um when the pet i've been expecting the pandemic and i've been actually uh, in writing predicting the pandemic for some time now so when this hit um it became clear to me that the uh, the pandemic was not being reported appropriately uh in context uh even the independent media seemed to fail to uh, to to do their due diligence in terms of, of of the historical efforts by the United States to pave the way for a pandemic. Um, there was, of course, some discussion of Event 201, but it seemed like most of uh, the efforts to plumb the depths of this stopped there. So I felt that it was very important to. Uh, put this book together as quickly as possible to provide uh, much needed context and also to discuss uh, some issues having to do with pandemic delivery systems that are simply not being touched. So that was my uh, purpose. Briefly background, um, I did my, my undergraduate mostly at Berkeley and my graduate work in journalism at the University of Missouri at Columbia. Um, and uh, I've been a journalist for really over 35 years. Oh, wow. And where, where was your work history? I didn't see that in uh, on your book. Have you just been an independent journalist or have you worked with uh, what outlets? I've, I've mostly uh, worked as a freelancer. I uh, freelanced uh, articles published in the LA Times, Orange Coast Magazine, a bunch of local, regional, and national publications, actually. Um, I have had a few um, what we call staff positions, I guess, at the Americans Bulletin, also at the San Bernardino County Sentinel, which is a weekly investigative reporting venue. Um, but mostly I've worked freelance. Gotcha. And so you started in this biologic, I mean, you actually enter, the start of the book is a quote by Anthony Fauci, where he says, we're going to have a pandemic at some point. So 
you kind of went in and talked about you have a section pandemic watch. You talk about some of these biological weapons. Can you talk about some of the prescient topics that you researched prior to the advent of COVID-19? Right. Well, um, the, the book uh, essentially uh, goes into not only some of the legal, uh, quasi-legal, we should say, machinations uh, that the U.S. engaged in in order to pave the way for a pandemic. Just very briefly, an example of this it can be found in the USA Patriot Act, which we know was passed in the uh, disorder after uh, September 11th, 2001. Um, so in that piece of legislation, uh, there's a very peculiar section which the media failed again to pick up on and report on, and that is section 817, which is the expansion of the biological weapons statute. And in 817, the U.S. gives itself immunity from violating its own biological weapons laws. Now, that is a very strange uh, thing to have happen. And there was further fallout, shall we say, further implications of this, not only domestically, but also in terms of the U.S.'s compliance with the international uh, treaty known as the Biological Weapons Convention. So a lot of this is uh, gone into in the book. Right. So um, you, it's, it took place in Geneva, right? Uh, with John mm -hmm. Bolton walked out. So you can kind of see some of the... that too. That too. You see some of the usual suspects pop up, yeah. Yes. Well, well, the issue where John Bolton walked out, um, the, the Biological Weapons Convention is a very unusual um, arms treaty because it has absolutely no teeth. Uh, it has um, no verification protocol and no mechanism for dealing with violations, which makes it basically kind of a big charade. So a number of the, the member nations were very concerned about this. Uh, the Biological Weapons Convention has been in effect since the 1970s, but, you know, there it is. I mean, you know, th there's nothing you can do about violations. There's no enforcement, right? Exactly. So uh, an ad hoc uh, committee was formed at the BWC, Biological Weapons Convention, and in 2001, uh, this ad hoc committee had hammered out a verification protocol and presented it to the committee, uh, so, sorry, to the convention at large for approval. And the reason it was not approved was that uh, as ambassador to the UN, John Bolton and all of the US State Department delegates boycotted the protocol and got up and walked out. Now, I want to point out that this happened in May of 2001, a scant few months before uh, September, the events of September 11th and also the anthrax attacks. Right. So there is um, some discussion of why Bolton did this. Uh, his his uh, insistence that this tr treaty remained toothless and useless 
was actually uh, reinforced in 2011 when uh, the, the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, made a surprise visit to the BWC in Geneva. I was actually attending the convention in 2011 and she made a speech, which is also uh, archived in the book, you know, basically stating that uh, under no circumstances would the US accept the verification program. So all of these machinations and more uh, seem to indicate that the US is essentially saying uh, hands off of our biological weapons program, hands off of anybody looking into what we're doing or trying to mitigate or control what we are doing involving biological weapons. Right, it's really incredible. When you see that over the administrations too, and those anthrax well, attacks, they trace those attacks or the anthrax to uh, facilities, uh, biological labs in the US, right? Um, yes, um, actually very interesting story about that. Um, uh, the, the US, uh, the FBI, after a several keystone cop sort of uh, uh, interventions in which they were obviously accomplishing very little in terms of, of determining, uh, determining who the perpetrator was, um, decided uh, without a lot of buttressing verification that the perpetrator was a man named Dr. Bruce Ivins, who uh, worked at uh, the Fort Detrick lab. And before they could arrest him, he uh, conveniently committed suicide. Now, there's some, there are some questions concerning uh, his suicide and whether he actually committed it or not. Uh, I mean, he died. He was rushed to the hospital, allegedly, uh, having overdosed on Tylenol. And when he started to rally in the hospital, he started to come to, the decision was made to take him off life support. So- And they ruined uh, his reputation too before he died too. Like they went through his background. They really, somebody really, I think there was a good documentary. And after he died, they moved, shifted blame to another guy from uh, South America or South Africa, and he's on uh, Steve Bannon show all the time. And he ended up winning a winning a jury settlement, right? Do you remember his name? Um, there was a, a, an individual that the FBI was investigating before they determined that Bruce Ivins oh, was there, okay. and oh, okay. he actually did sue and won um, when Ivins committed committed suicide, um, it was considered case closed. Now, the interest, one of the interesting things about this investigation is that a decision was made, and again, you know, I'm saying this without um, being able to determine who exactly made this decision, but the decision was made not to look at the other labs that had the Ames strain of um, of anthrax that was used. The Ames strain uh, was determined to have 
been uh, the anthrax that was used in these attacks. And it was also to be found at Dugway Proving Ground and also at a Battelle lab, which is a, a private lab that contracts with, um, with United States. So we had two possible other uh, venues in the US where this, this, this anthrax could have been weaponized and the FBI refused to look at those. And it has also been reported that uh, Bruce Ivins at Fort Dietrich did not have the equipment available to him to weaponize the anthrax in the manner that it was weaponized before it was used. So, you know, we have uh, a rather suspicious uh, set of circumstances here. And the reason I believe that the anthrax attacks were sort of coupled with the attacks of September 11th, as you could recall, they happened you know, within a short period of time of each other. Uh, the reason is that, that the, there was a, 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 an agenda to uh, go ahead and create a pandemic. And, Interesting. And, and this is the reason that 817 popped up uh, in Patriot Act as well. But you know, the, the book goes into like further machinations having to do with this. Yeah, his name was uh, Steve Hatfield was the name of the guy who got blamed yeah, before. That's right. And Thank he's you. on Steve Bannon's show. He's still around. So he was a commentator on COVID-19. So go figure still on the pandemic but yeah those the aerosol it had to be the anthrax had to be aerosolized and it it made its way through the mailing system right so i think a mail carrier in miami died and then it they had to yeah. shut down the house of representatives building offices or there was all kinds of stuff like it was a, it was a huge event right but it's an event that seems to have been forgotten by a lot of people i mean that most of the attention being paid uh to the the attacks of September 11th, and also the the, the resultant uh, legislation has to do with surveillance authorities and and NSA spying and so forth. And and really, uh, the, the media has failed to report on Section 817, the expansion of the biological weapons statute, and what its implications are. And I've never I, even heard it, so I, I'm glad that you put it. Yeah. In. So and and but I think it's a, you start off with an example of a biological agent from a lab, but the research doesn't get in and nothing changed, right? So I think that's very telling about how your book progresses, right? That seems to be the theme or a theme. Would you agree with that? I'm not quite sure what you meant. Could you well, I'm just it? saying, like, so the anthrax attacks happened in the United States 2001. It leads back to facilities in the U.S but the actual perpetrator never gets found. And then there's no inquiry from the media. We can relate that to today about COVID-19. And there's no real uh, political changes, no regulatory changes about how this happened. It's just like, this has happened, now let's move forward. And it seems very similar to some of these other biological events, whether you talk about Monsanto and Roundup, that went on for a long time. That that I mean, there's been litigation in court, but then you can throw in a lot of this gene editing. Where's the oversight for that? 
There's a lot of problems. There are really a lot of problems. And um, in one section of the book, as, as I sort of move forward to create my case here, uh, there's a section of the book that is entitled State of the Science that goes into the US's obsession with gen genetics and with archiving and, and creating a depository of our genetic profiles. Um, people may not be aware that uh, there was a newborn screening act passed under uh, President Bush II, uh, which mandates the collection of, of genetic material from all newborns. Uh, equally, there are FBI uh, and actually local police uh, involvement in collecting the DNA of anyone arrested. You don't even have to be uh, convicted of a, of a crime to be arrested. You get your DNA taken. So they're creating databases. Um, and the question that needs to be asked is why? Um, the book also goes into uh, a bit of detail about the creation of ethnic weapons, gene-based weapons, and how this appears to have been already accomplished in at least one case. What one, case was that? Um, this had to do with Dr. Vudur Bassan's work in South Africa. Dr. Bassan was head of the uh, biological weapons program uh, under apartheid South Africa and was known to be creating a blacks only bioweapon. Now, um, there are indications, and a chapter of the book goes into this in some depth, that Bassan was actually successful. And that according to information received and also research accomplished, that this uh, uh, blacks only bioweapon was leaked into the processed food supply and has manifested itself in the uh, spiking uh, incidents of hypertension and diabetes in people of color. And the book and the, the, the chapter on Buddha Bassan goes into this in some depth. Now, Bassan appears to be coded in Teflon. He was uh, first arrested and charged in Pretoria in South Africa uh, after the fall of the apartheid regime with multiple crimes, including uh, assassinations uh, and uh, drug dealing. And, and there were 200 witnesses against Bassan, no witnesses except for himself in, in his defense, and the judge exonerated him. So there, there, you know, there have been a lot of concerns as to why Bassan gets a free pass. On, uh, on crimes, any crimes really, against uh, anybody. It's really a crime against humanity, right? It's a, it's a yeah, genocidal yeah. thing, yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> right now, like they're talking about CRISPR and all of these gene sequencing. 23andMe, people don't know, 
they send it in thinking their background. They don't know that all that genetic stuff is saved and can be sold to third parties. So they're almost voluntarily giving up their genetic information to a massive database, right? Yes, they are. I mean, it's it's scary to think that they're almost voluntarily doing that. That's why, that's why I never did 23andMe. And that now, I mean, you can target certain sequences that are specific to ethnic racial classes. I mean, I think you wrote in your book that COVID-19 affects people differently too, based upon ethnic traits. Is that right? Is that what I read in yours or where it was somewhere else? Um, you might have read that somewhere else. I'm actually looking mm -hmm. into that right now. I'm on a research project right now concerning that. And um, I haven't finished the research or published the results, but um, it does appear to uh, far more lethally affect uh, people of color. I think I read it in one of your footnotes now that I think about it. <laughs> but it's a very, I mean, you start back 20 years ago and it just keeps creeping up this danger of biological warfare, whether by accident or intent, right? By accident or intent. And um, given, given all of the money that is being pumped into um, biological weapons in the United States. Uh, for example, the, the published figures, the, the ones we know about, um, uh, are detail six to seven billion dollars a year. But that does not include uh, DARPA, it doesn't include CIA, it doesn't include DHS. And uh, I've made strenuous attempts to find out, you know, what the real numbers are and have been uh, refuse this information really at, at every juncture. So um, the, the basic stance of the US is that, uh, um, that these labs uh, are not creating weapons, they're creating countermeasures, but in order, you know, countermeasures being vaccines, uh, uh, medicine and so forth. However, in order to create the countermeasures, there is a, an admission that uh, the agent itself, whether it's anthrax or smallpox or COVID or whatever, needs to be maintained by the lab. And as we saw in Wuhan, um, there was gain-of-function research going on, which means that they were uh, researching how to make the uh, coronavirus more lethal. Of course, only because they want to protect us. <laughs> right, right. right. That's, that's the cover story, right? Right. But what's really scary is this network of labs. Like, what is the U.S.? I mean, I think Fauci got busted financing or giving money to this lab in Wuhan that had shoddy mm -hmm. uh, security practices, right? Yeah, you could... Well, we don't even know really what the security practices were because we're not really being given access to what went on in Wuhan. Um, it has been noted by some researchers, including uh, Dr. Richard Ebright, who has been very vocal about uh, biological weapons issues. He's at Rutgers. It's been noted that there are uh, multiple lab leaks every month, multiple. Right. And uh, so, you know, one 
one can go with the same sort of paradigm uh, that we looked at with 9-11 in terms of made it happen on purpose or let it happen on purpose. Right. So either way, uh, given, given the efforts going back at least two decades by the US, given the fact that Anthony Fauci miraculously predicted that there would be a uh, pandemic that started under Trump. Given all of this, you know, one, one has to raise some questions as to intentionality. Yeah, we're still asking those questions. And I think the Veritas leak said that um, they think that there was a Manhattan Project level cover up of where this virus came from, if the virus even existed at all, right? I mean, people have, I mean, yeah, it's off the charts. And they covered up solutions and stuff, according to Veritas. Yes, but, they did. Yep. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so the scary thing is like you talk in your book, like you, is this the big one or is there another one coming? Bill Gates pops up in this narrative because he's out around today, but also he was the head of Monsanto. Didn't he own Monsanto before Bayer bought it? I thought he was um, a major shareholder. You know, that, that that's a good question. I have to check in my notes. I believe that he was a shareholder, but don't hold me to that. I won't, but I'm pretty sure that he was a major shareholder. Roundup got up, and then you have these escalating autism cases. People are being poisoned, causes all kinds of damage. And then you see him pushing these vaccines, which I don't think are safe and effective as they're, as they're alleged to be. Um, when your title of the book is at the breaking point of history, why did you use that specific terminology? Oh, oh I just lost you. Hello? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? William? Yes, I'm here. I have lost you. Okay. Uh, let's do this. Audio, mic. Um, hello. Check one, two. Yeah, I'm still okay. here. You're back. Good. Okay. Good. Okay. Well, you use the this term at the breaking point of history in reference to where we're at. Can you expound or explicate on why you use that uh, phrase to for the title of your book? Well, I think we're in the middle of a concerted change. And uh, in order to get compliance uh, from the population, population in general, there has to be uh, a great fear that is generated in people in order to herd them into compliance. And we can see uh, not only in the US, in, in Australia and in Canada and elsewhere, Austria, that uh, there is a general governmental disregard for uh, established human rights as people are being essentially herded into compliance. Now, um, I, I wanna make something clear about the book. Um, I, I, the book is really not an anti-vax book. I mean, I'm, I'm not vaccinated I, and I you know, certainly try to uh, discuss uh, with people who contact me the reasons why this is, but uh, there are a lot of people talking about the vaccine technology and what is so dangerous about it. But there aren't many people talking about 
at least two other delivery systems that can ride in on a pandemic scenario, which can also result in massive loss of life, which simply are not being discussed or dealt with by either mainstream or largely independent media. So the latter sections of the book go into some detail about these other delivery systems because uh, you know, people are becoming savvy about vaccines. They're concerned about them and I think that's a very good thing. But in the meantime, they're, they're left wide open if they don't have information about the other delivery systems. So what are those other two delivery systems? Um, right, so the book, uh, in the pandemic section, excuse me, I'm recovering from this cold. Uh, in the pandemic section, I go into uh, some detail as to uh, what can happen uh, in a lockdown scenario, uh, given the uh, mounting documentation that there have been massive efforts in the US and elsewhere to reconfigure water systems. And uh, I know that I'm treading on, on dangerous ground here. People can call me a conspiracy theorist or they can say, this is science fiction. But I believe that the documentation provided in the book, which includes the blueprints and more, uh, makes this pretty irrefutable. That, that there has been massive reconfiguration of water systems that can provide uh, weaponization and selective targeting. And the other delivery system, which I discussed, which I do not have the amount of documentation at hand yet that I have on the water systems has to do with what we're calling imposter pharmaceuticals. And, uh, Basically, just to kind of briefly explain what this is, um, it has been known for some time that the old USSR had a catch of uh, pills, uh, which might resemble, you know, what you're used to taking. You take an antibiotic, um, you take a, a, a birth control pill, you take your thyroid, whatever you need to take, right? Um, but, but that there has been an, there was an effort in the old USSR to create doppelganger or imposter pharmaceutical so that the targeted individual would uh, unknowingly take their medication and die. Now, um, this is the stuff that we've, you know, we've seen in spy movies and so forth. And what is less known is that the US has in concert with a number of pharmaceutical companies created exactly the same sort of death pills. So this is discussed uh, to some degree in the book, not as extensively as the water stuff. Uh, I have been attempting for some time now to get agreements from labs to test uh, some of these samples of of uh, non-viable pharmaceuticals that I happen to have in my possession. Um, and at this point in time, I have not yet found a lab that will even agree to run an analysis. But wow. when this is done, we'll have sufficient documentation. So I'm still working on that. 
Well, you want to talk about targeted distribution. I mean, these this so-called vaccine, it's really not a vaccine. The gene therapy jabs that they're giving people, uh, some people have studied it, and there's uh, concentrations of harmful batches that uh, yeah. events that yeah, they are conducting either an intentional or an experiment with those jabs. So if you are, in, I mean, imagine the power. We're just, I mean, I'm just a little person, but imagine on the opposite side, Okay, batch 352 goes to Chicago. This batch goes to Los Angeles. This batch goes to Omaha. Imagine the people sending that out. And this Operation Warp Speed could have been a cover for breaking down so many oversight regulation, the emergency youth authorization. Well, it was. Yes, it was. And, you know, uh, one has to ask... uh, why, given such a uh, overwhelming concern uh, about a pandemic, why it was decided to uh, invest in novel, untested uh, mRNA vaccines? Right. Very important. They're finding out that these mRNA, they do things to the body that uh, nobody knows the consequence. I mean, the consequences were, we're only going to start. Uh, realize it. hopefully they're harmless i mean i've heard that some of those batches are basically saline shots like they somebody's tested them and said there's nothing happening in this thing. there's just it's empty so it's almost like a james bond movie like imagine like getting a really bad batch or just a saline shot somebody's making that decision it's off the charts and that's why i mean i know the psychological operation aspect is off the charts but probably, sorry go ahead no, I'm sorry. Excuse me for interrupting you. Uh, well, okay, all I said was we don't know who's getting it. And, and our trust in, in government at this point is, is being uh, rightfully eroded. Just off what they've done is just uh, incredible. I mean, you got to talk about uh, biological fascism or something because it's pretty, pretty clear to me the government is censoring things for a reason. And it's not because they want the open discussion, scientific discussion. It's because they don't want anybody to contradict their aims and their agenda. So it's a, it's a really uh, t- a tragedy. And some of these people, like I've read a guy who says that because of the lawsuits that are coming against Pfizer and Moderna, their stock values at a negative, that they will be sued out of existence within two or three years. They just cannot, the claims and the, the damages because if there's actual fraud and they're lying on their thing, they can't they can't claim anything any uh, immunity. There's no claim for immunity. Also, if you can show intent, which I think some lawyers can say that there's intentional stuff, they're in a lot of trouble. They're basically in the same state that a cigarette man, cigarette manufacturer is. So um, the next three years will be very interesting. I mean, that's the whole thing is that these uh, we're in an era of this kind of tinkering with the foundations. I mean, you talk about designer babies too. That's happening in China right now. They actually, uh, can you talk about some of that stuff that's going on with tinkering with the embroils? Well, um, yeah, gene editing has the capacity of, uh, in some cases, affecting what's called the germline. And the germline is essentially what is passed on to further generations. So there exists the potential here of creating, shall we say, a 
uh, entirely new crop of humans that had have certain uh, characteristics enhanced, certain characteristics removed, maybe uh, uh, superhumans. Um, and, and this technology, it, this ability to affect the germline has uh, supposedly uh, be, being uh, uh, contained by, by certain sorts of government regulations and so forth. But it, the fact is, in the United States, uh, it's not really illegal to do so. What, what the US has decided is they aren't going to uh, give public money to these sorts of efforts, which has the interesting sort of uh, uh, result of making these uh, designer babies available to people who have the money to, uh, to fund the research and fund the, uh, uh, the effects. So, so what you end up doing by, uh, by uh, denying money to public research is you turn it into a private venture where rich people can buy designer babies. Yeah, it's incredible. We're tinkering around. You're like Star Trek Wrath of Khan level. Like you could go right or like you may create the Superman, the Ubermensch, but you could create something else entirely. You don't know what the consequences are. We're at, a, we're at the breaking point of history. There's no question about it. I mean, what else can people find? We're at about 37 minutes. What else can people find in the book? Or is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we kind of wrap up this discussion? Right. Well, you know, I really do. I, do, I have concerns that when you couple the, uh, the efforts towards uh, harvesting people's DNA, towards changing people's DNA towards creating designer babies and so forth. And you couple that with, uh, shall we say, a, uh, um, a, an event such as the pandemic, which may end up causing far more deaths than what we've already seen. Um, I think we're really, you know, the people who are watching are very concerned at uh, the, the reports of, of myocarditis and other problems in people who are vaccinated, but the long-term effects are not something yet that we've seen. So you take two separate efforts, you take uh, a possible culling, and then through, through at least three mechanisms discussed in the book, which would be vaccines, the, this water nonsense, and the imposter pharmaceuticals, you take that, and you couple it with this obsession with genetics and creating this other race of people. And, you know, Houston, we had a problem here. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, the actuarial table tables tell a story that the government cannot fudge the numbers because the insurance companies are seeing statistical changes that are so extreme that they can't base giving insurance out like anymore because it's 12 sigma. It's like off standard D. If you know statistics, it's like a black swan event. It's off the charts. So the government can't fudge those numbers. They'd love to, but they fudge every other number. Like we're in a fascist state. We're so corrupt. It's off the charts. Really interesting discussion. Interesting book. There's a lot more in here. You talk about bioweapons bio and just more things analyzing kind of what happened over COVID-19. 
Where's the best place for people to get at the breaking point of history? Well, it can be uh, purchased through Amazon, uh, through the publisher, which is Trine Day. And uh, I believe there's now an ebook on Barnes & Noble. So it's out there. Okay. Not in the bookstores yet, not in your libraries, but you can certainly buy it. And uh, do you have any social media or contact information, Janet, if people want to reach out to you? Um, I am on Facebook. Um, my articles appear regularly at Activist Post, and uh, one can reach me through Facebook. Gotcha. Facebook's good. And again, your last name, it's Phelan, P-H-E-L-A-N. Title of the book, full title, is At the Breaking Point of History, How Decades of U.S. Duplicity Enabled the Pandemic by Janet Phelan came out 2021. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. All right. Stay there. Stay there.